grasping the thin, almost translucent veil between that of fact and fiction, revealing mysteries of the past, folklore passed down from father to son, unsolved murders, and things that go bump in the night. You've entered Deceptive Reality. Hello and welcome back to the Deceptive Reality Podcast. My name's Nick and this is the Intrepid Bert. Whoa, I'm intrepid this time. Listen, <laughs> I'm always a little bit concerned what you're going to go with, Nick, but intrepid, I like it. I'm intrepidacious sometime. Intrepidacious, I think you invented that. I did. That's, did I? Is that not a word? Uh, I think it's a mix of two words, to be honest, but... Intrepidacious. Isn't that a Fergie song? (laughs) (laughs) It might be. Intrepidacious. It's going to be once she hears this. (laughs) I hear she listens every week, so... She does. She's a big fan. She's a really big fan. Definitely. Well, Nick, this was my week. I got to to choose what we did this time. I know, and I've been waiting anxiously. So the best part is, uh, again, behind the scenes, for anyone that doesn't know, I had Nick help me out with something this week. And I set up a farce. A farce. I made it so some of the things that you saw or potentially could have seen in my search windows and or files was not what we're covering today. Uh, You know what? I turned the tables again on you because I specifically didn't look at that stuff because I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Dang it, Nick. I was trying to be slick. I was I was all excited. I'm like, he's not going to know what this is. He's going to look and ac- he's going to accidentally see what happened. And he's going to be like, oh, I know what this week is. And then today I was going to reverse Uno, you Nick. Oh, uh, no, no. Pick up two. Wait, is that Uno? Uh, I actually I don't I don't know how to play Uno. Uh, OK. Well, me too, maybe not. <laughs> but yeah, like. I don't want to know until we get here because I want to, I don't want to play surprised. I want to be surprised. Well, this one, let me tell you. Okay. Probably the biggest twists and turns we ever had was the Circleville letters. That Mm -hmm. by far Mm -hmm. had more twists and turns, but there's a theme every single week that we talk about, and we are doing a lot of older files. And what's the one thing we say, why did the, why did they not have X, Y, and Z? Right. 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 What is it we're typically missing? Camera, pictures. And audio, right? Right, right. We have pictures tonight. We have audio tonight. There's a video, but sorry, folks, I'm not going to put the video up there. That's a little bit too much of a gray area I'm not comfortable with going with. But tonight, you're going to see, well, for those of you watching, for those of you listening, we'll put on the Instagram. But if you're watching this on YouTube, you're going to see photos of what we're talking about, and you're definitely going to hear audio. I'm scared, but <laughs> you excited. Better be. You better be, <laughs> Nick. So if you're ready, I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm going to let the narrator tell you what it is, and then we're going to come back, and I'm going to explain how important this, this I don't even know what to call it without giving it away, how important this oh. paranormal event was. I hope it's intrepidatious. It is intrepidatious, Nick. (laughs) Let's go! Tonight, I invite you to step away from the familiar boundaries of logic and reason as we journey through the cobwebbed corridors of the inexplicable and the eerie. 
We stand on the threshold of a home at Green Street where a family once grappled with a reality that twisted the sinews of human comprehension. Tonight, we unpack the tale of the Enfield poltergeist. Stay with us as we peel back the layers of this haunting tale, maintaining a keen eye on the facts while not shying away from the unsettling sensations that this story is bound to provoke. A story that challenges our understanding of the world, of science, and perhaps even the afterlife. The tale we're about to unfurl is not for the faint of heart. This is deceptive reality, and the reality tonight is both mentally deceptive and for a family a scary reality. Are you ready to step into the enigma that is the Enfield poltergeist? Oh boy. All right, Nick. Now, do you know oh what this case boy. is? I know a little bit about it, but I know enough that this is famous and this is going to be... <laughs> oh, let me self-censor the swear word. This is going to be effing big. <laughs> it's going to be big. Here's the thing, and this is what I'm going to tell anyone that either listens to our podcast or they're watching this on YouTube. I never put disclaimers out there. I'm not a, dis a disclaimer guy. But if you are listening or watching this and you've got your kids, I would say maybe don't let them listen or watch this episode. Unless you're comfortable with explaining things that might make them nervous. I remember seeing this case when I was a kid and it scared the life out of me. Oh, and yeah. I've got audio files from this event. And as a grown adult, I almost want to sleep with my nightlight on. Wow. Do you, do you want yeah. me to give a warning for this? Yes. Can I give can. a warning? 100%. <clears throat> Parents at home, if you expose your kids to episodes like the Enfield Poltergeist at home at a young age, your children may grow up to be a host on a podcast called Deceptive Reality. That is true. That's what Listen, made me how I am. That's what made me how I am. We might hire them too. Who knows? We might hire them. It's possible. They might, if they're real little, they might be our successors. They like could the be next our generation. They may be. This one, let me tell you, it. There's okay. So I'm going to divulge a little bit of information. I don't like to self promote, but I'm, I'm going to a little bit for anyone that doesn't know. I have my own podcast also called retraced echoes where I cover paranormal activity. I was talking to Nick today and I'm like, Hey, I gotta, I gotta retape this episode, blah, 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 blah. And I said, I have one now, but I cannot release it in which I release mine on Wednesdays. This comes out on Fridays. The reason why is because I did a deep dive on this case. So I know too much about this case. <laughs> There's things I didn't know until I dug really deep. So any questions you have, Nick, if I can't answer tonight, I would be shocked. I'm going to quiz you. This is like a exam, final exam. You should. There's a lot of stuff that they didn't divulge or they the reports are contradictory is how I'll put it. But there's a lot of stuff where I'm like, oh, yeah, OK, no, I totally I totally know. There were some things where I'm like, how is that even possible? So this one has all the makings of an amazing story. And for those that don't know, this was turned into a movie called The Conjuring 2. I love that movie. Yeah. Conjuring 2 was good. It was extremely fictionalized, obviously. 
Um, because obviously for anyone that doesn't know, The Conjuring's around Ed and Lorraine Warren, uh, who has very different, Ed was a demonologist and Lorraine was, mm-hmm. I believe, just considered a psychic or a medium. Yeah. And they would go to all these haunted locations. So the first Conjuring was around uh, Bathsheba, Bathsheba, I believe was the name in the original Conjuring house. The second one took place on Green Street, which is what we're talking about today. And then obviously they go from there. Now, here's an interesting tidbit. And uh, you may ask me at some point in time, Ed and Lorraine in The Conjuring 2, it was all about they were there. They're the ones to study the case. All these things happen. That did not happen in real life. No. They were there for an extremely short amount of time. Uh, There was actually a completely different investigation team that was there that's going to provide all the information we need for tonight, but that was fictionalized in the movie. They just used someone else's story, premises, concepts to create that movie. Okay. Now, now if you had heard of it from Ed and Lorraine, did they make their part larger or was this just strictly done by the movie people? It was sensationalized by... Not necessarily by Ed and Lorraine, but you know how someone will go and they'll go, in this case, they're going to the UK and there'll be certain medias that'll be like, Ed and Lorraine Warren went and they experienced this and they experienced that. And what they used was parts of the, I guess, the other investigation team's information. So they sensationalized what happened for sure. Um, Ed and Lorraine did talk about it. They did investigate it. But all the reports say they were there a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. They wasn't there we, hardly enough to even find anything. Right. I, I think, and I might want to do this sometime, we should do a show just on Ed and Lorraine Warren because they've had a huge career that's not even been touched on on these movies and other shows and stuff like that. Correct. Yeah. I, but I then on top of that, on top of that, though, some mm-hmm. of the events that occurred with them are more bold than the movies make it. Right. So the, the movies add all these different dynamic concepts and ideas about, oh, this scary event happened. But sometimes the events that really occur are scarier right. than the events that, that really happen. Because the things that those are tangible. This happened. The things that we're going to talk about tonight, when you listen to it, you're going to be like, what in the world is that? Mm-hmm. So, so some things can be scarier in real life, but oh, yeah. maybe not help develop a narrative for a full movie. Correct. And that's where we sort of get a disconnect. Like there's stuff that can scare you in real life. That's just not going to bother you in a movie and vice oh, for versa. hundred percent. But think about it. Every single week that we've talked about something, almost all of them have had some type of a movie, right? Like last week right. we talked about, um, your case, which was the, the Kentucky, right? The Critters yep. was the movie. It was Critters uh, and E.T., right? Critters, E.T. Yeah. The Hopkinsville. I thought was another one. Yeah. Hop- Hopkinsville Goblins. Hopkinsville. Yeah, that's yeah. it. And, and I was happy to find out that at least one other person was traumatized by that as well. So I know. Thank you, my friend, for speaking up about that. Should we read that, Nick? Because I thought that was actually hilarious. I thought that was probably... Yeah. Matt, this is helping my mental state. Like this person really helped me out. Unless they're going to write back later, JK. 
or something. <laughs> I know. It was awesome. We actually had Andy Vasquez two two four seven or Vasquez. My eyes aren't what they used to be. Andy Vasquez two two four seven. He put a comment on our YouTube said, "I too was traumatized by finding out about this encounter when I was a kid through some time slash life or Reader's Digest treasury of the bizarre, paranormal, unexplained." complete with famous painting of the goblin in the window. It's etched into my psyche. Laugh out loud. And then emojis for days. I thought that was hilarious. So you're not I, the only I was one so that, happy to read that. I was so happy to read that. I had to have seen that at some point in time in reader's digest or we had reader's digest when I was a kid. Now, if it was in one of the other two, I don't know, but I know some of the stuff that was in reader's digest. I'm like, Holy smokes. That's crazy. Hmm. Yeah. I do remember the Time Life series. They were all advertising it on TV. It was like the Time yes. Life Unexplained series, UFOs, Supernatural <laughs> Occurrences. It could have been them too, Nick. It could have been them. Yeah. Unfortunately for them, they were appealing to a credit card free child. So they didn't get any money off of me or their target audience. But some people yeah. bought it, I'm sure. Nowadays, if that was a thing, they'd be rich. Raking it oh, in, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Kids got credit cards now everyone's got credit cards <laughs> the parents giving them all the good stuff nick yeah well i tell you what if you're ready to dive in i can't wait to get the story going i am ready but i'm going to quiz you your first quiz question before okay we start. i'm ready hit me what does poltergeist mean in english that oh. has nothing to do with the case nick how am i supposed to oh. know that one i'll tell you it's noisy spirit german for noisy spirit Oh, wow. I did not know that. I was going to say a uh, ghost that throws things around. <laughs> I think that's the other translation, but mostly it's noisy spirit. That would make sense. Hold on. Let me write that down. Zero, one. <laughs> <laughs> Let's roll it. it. I want more. Here we go. To fully grasp the mystery that is the Enfield poltergeist, let's journey back to the 1970s. Picture it, if you will, disco balls casting kaleidoscopic patterns on dance floors, the air alive with the rhythm of change. But amidst the vivacity of this era, a seemingly ordinary council house nestled on the unassuming Green Street in Enfield, London, would emerge as the epicenter of a phenomenon that defied all reason and left even skeptics trembling. Imagine this tranquil suburban neighborhood where life flowed like any other, where picket fences painted a picture of routine. Here, Peggy Hodgson, a devoted single mother, and her four children, Johnny, Billy, Janet, and Margaret, dwelled in what appeared to be an unremarkable home, the kind that would vanish into the tapestry of the mundane, unnoticed by the casual passerby, a place that, on the surface, revealed no secrets and harbored no mysteries. But destiny has a way of weaving strange threads into the fabric of our lives. Peggy Hodgson, like many single mothers, faced the harsh realities of life, Financial struggles and the need for a roof over her children's heads led her to this house on Green Street, a home that would soon prove to be far more than she could have ever anticipated. Now, as you listen to this tale unfold, you might be wondering, what was it about this house that set it apart from countless others? How did the Hodgsons become unwitting pioneers in the realm of the unexplained? And what would transpire within these walls to challenge the very foundations of reality? Prepare yourself for a journey that will blur the lines between the ordinary and the extraordinary where the inexplicable dances with the mundane. Stay with us as we open the door to that nondescript home on Green Street where the Hodgsons embarked on a journey they could never have imagined. 
Now that is an introduction, Nick. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm getting excited. <laughs> well, here's the thing. This, this is kind of where I look at this kind of, I'm going to call it a case now, right? Mm-hmm. This and the narration kind of broke into it a little bit. This case was so extremely studied that it would almost in the, the realm of paranormal, there's been no case studied as heavily as this case was. Okay. And obviously, I mean, I know you know about it a little bit, obviously. How yes. deep do you know about the story? Obviously, you know, probably from the movie and stuff like that. But did you know anything else above and beyond it? Uh, very little, very little. Most of it's from the movie. And I think we're going to find that a lot of that was, like you said earlier, sensationalized. Um, but I, what I do like about the movie is I've got a good picture of the council houses. Um, do you want to explain what a council house is just for anyone listening who might not know? I mean, you should dig into that, Nick. You know all about it. Okay. All right. Yeah. I know a bunch of people like, uh, in England and London and that kind of thing, but a council house is what we'd call here, like low income housing. Yes. So I believe, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong. I believe over there, they actually give these out to people at very low prices or maybe even free, you know, we're talking like single mothers, uh, people who can't work, that kind of thing. So these houses often have long histories on them. But they're also contingent. So they're contingent on, as far as from an income standpoint, if you Mm -hmm. end up going above that, you, you would have to move out. It's kind of the intent. Like you don't, you don't get to keep it. It's not a free for all. It's kind of a, Hey, this is a spot for the moment kind of deal. Now, something that I found interesting that's going to play into a lot of this, Nick. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to quiz you now to see how much you know. Uh Oh, this shocked me by the way. Okay. From the time that they moved into the residence, mm-hmm. how long until the first paranormal activity occurred? Days. I think days. You're going to go with days. I'm going days. So it was exactly 13 years. What? This movie has lied to me. So they were there undisturbed for 13 years. Undisturbed for 13 years, Nick. So here's what I find interesting. And I'll be Mm. honest. I researched for our podcast. Right. And the thought process between our podcast and my podcast are significantly different. They're night and day. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here we like to cover the story, what happened, a little bit of the summary. I didn't know this until I researched for my podcast. Because I try to dig into why is it haunted, right? Right. When I read that, I'm like, there's no way that information is correct. So I went back to multiple sources. All of them I, I know said a good reason. Years. I know a good You know a good reason? reason? I do. I, I'm gonna, I think I, let you I know too. Do yours? Okay. Do what? You, should I say mine? Or should. Well, it's going to come up. It's uh, going to okay. come Maybe up. Maybe I'll Because it's it. in my narration, it's in my story. Now, if you want to guess, yeah. you can guess. I can't guess because I know the answer. Okay. I, I will guess because I know like this particular story, I don't know a ton about, but I know a lot about poltergeist mm-hmm. and poltergeist. There's a lot of debate whether they're actually ghosts or 
demons or even spirits at all, but a lot of times they come about off of the turbulent energy of children in their teens or young years, and that sort of feeds them. So 13, maybe they've got children around that age that could set it off. That's my guess. So at the time of this haunting, they're, they only really talk about the two girls. They don't talk a whole right. lot about in any of the reports, the two boys, they barely ever talk about. Now mm-hmm. you hear them in the recordings and you see them in the video, but you never, they never really talk to them a whole lot. It's typically, Hey, he's here and he's talking, blah, blah, blah. Right. Right. Janet was 11. Okay. Margaret was 13. Ah. So that tells me two things. Right. The first thing that it tells me is that when they moved into the residence, more than likely Mm -hmm. the parents were together because they had a child two years after they were there. Now I'm not saying in the seventies, you know, dad wasn't coming over after they divorced going, Hey, Netflix time. Well, they didn't have Netflix blockbuster time. That wasn't happening. Yeah, Yeah. that was not happening. Very unlikely. So my guess is they were poor. They moved into the the residence and then they were there. But one of the key things is going to go, I think, see, I've done both of these podcasts. I'm not sure what's in what, but Mm -hmm. the parents got divorced. Right. And no reports tell me when that occurs. None of them. Okay. So it could have been when all this occurred, but I'm, I'm going to throw a couple wrenches in your plans here in a couple seconds. That's going to annoy you a little bit, Nick. Oh, we'll see. We'll see. Because there's some stuff that is going to probably blow your mind. Okay. I like what other questions you got any other questions, Nick? I'm ready. Throw them questions at me. I scared. Uh, no, I, th- I think good. I think you got that one though. So I'm going to give you a point. Bam. One point. So 50% one, baby. Yeah. One out of two ain't bad. No, that's not that's the right. song. Yeah. <laughs> that is not the song, Nick. All right. No, you, you get ready? another one. It's dive? a song. I'm ready. Blow my mind. Here we go. On the night of August 30th, 1977, marked the genesis of the strange occurrences that would soon grip the Hodgson family in a vice of fear and fascination. It was on this night that Janet and Pete Hodgson, two of Peggy's children, came forward with an inexplicable and disturbing revelation. Their beds, the very bastions of rest and security, were, for reasons unknown, wobbling beneath them. The room was cloaked in darkness, illuminated only by the soft glow of the moonlight filtering through the curtains. Janet and Pete huddled together, their eyes wide with a mix of astonishment and terror. They described the sensation of their beds rocking back and forth as if possessed by some unseen force. Meanwhile, Peggy, their devoted mother, immediately rushed to their aid. Her heart pounded like a drumbeat of alarm as she navigated the dimly lit hallway, guided only by her children's trembling voices. She knew that she needed to reassure them to provide an explanation for this inexplicable phenomenon. But as she entered the room, a sense of dread hung in the air like a heavy shroud. The beds, indeed, wobbled beneath her children as if caught in the grip of an invisible tempest. Peggy's eyes darted around the room, searching for any rational explanation, any source of the disturbance. She examined the beds, probing them for hidden mechanisms or tricks, but her efforts yielded nothing. There were no strings, no devices, nothing that could account for the eerie rocking motion. 
It was as if the very foundations of reality had shifted, leaving her and her children adrift in a sea of uncertainty. Their beds, once sanctuaries of peaceful slumber, became vessels of disquiet, swaying with an eerie rhythm that defied the laws of physics. So, you almost have to imagine this, Nick, and this is the only way. Mm -hmm. We got to go back. Remember when you talked about your story last week? Right. You saw what you saw through the window, jumped in a bed, and you're like, nope. You basically noped out of the situation. Yep. <laughs> so, in the movie... Conjuring 2, I think they depicted Margaret in one bed and Janet in another bed. That is correct. Versus in the real life situation, it's Janet and what was it? What was the boy's name? Pete? Pete. Yeah, Pete. What's the ages on these two? Janet was the 13? No, Janet was 11. Margaret was 13. The boys, we have no clue. In no reports does it ever give the boys age, which is crazy. If I was to guess based on the video footage that I saw, Mm -hmm. I'm going to say one of the boys was probably 14-ish, and the other boy was probably 12-ish. And we don't know which is which. We don't know. Yeah. Even the photos will list. This is so odd. The photos will list the names over the girls, but the boys mm-hmm. are like random boy. Like it's crazy. <laughs> like if I'm the boys, I'm like, what? I was there too. You know, it'd be but, wild. But, they weren't there. There was no children that were boys. I know. What if it They're was ghosts. like a, a paradox, yeah. a, a alternate reality, Nick. Right. Right. They weren't there at all. They were apparitions. <laughs> <laughs> it was or, good. or it was not that ghost. okay yeah maybe i'm getting too paranoid here you're it's getting too like, paranoid too you're probably gonna all need right. a nightlight tonight when it's all said and done i but got one over it. there you can't see it <laughs> <laughs> nick's already plugged in and he already knew oh yeah but i got th- it every night think about it these two kids now again i'm assuming they had to share the beds in real life right, right. the movies didn't depict that but my guess is the younger ones probably slept in the same beds Maybe the older ones had their own spots, but Pete and Janet's bed starts shaking. Now, if you're right. a kid, I can only assume you're petrified. Right. But the reports say that Margaret was asleep through the, the vast majority of what was occurring. Hmm. Eventually, one of either Pete or Peter or whatever his name is, I'm calling him Pete, but if it was either Peter or it was Janet screamed and that's what caused this entire event. So again, I imagine the room is dark. Mm -hmm. My bed starts shaking. The first thing I think is what is in this case, Peter doing right. Right. I look over and Peter's petrified. Yeah. And then I go, Oh wait, no, this is legit happening. So then my mind goes to someone's pulling a, a prank and I look over and now Margaret's in the other bed and she's asleep. Right. Uh, so, so are we saying Janet and Pete shared a bed and Margaret's bed was to the side of it? That's my understanding based on the reports okay. is that because Margaret was not in the same bed. It was Peter and Janet that was Janet. in the bed. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to put my skeptic hat on. And okay. just at this stage, I'm going to say if those two are sharing a bed, 
Janet could be shaking it. So because be, before I was like, oh, there's two beds and they're shaking. Weird sure. that they'd get together and do that and be able to act. But sure. if they're sharing a bed, Skeptic Hat is going to say. One of them's faking it. <laughs> One of them's shaking it makes. Hey, listen, that's the beauty of this, because we're going to look at the skeptical side too, Nick. Yeah. We're and look in at case everything. you're wondering why I keep looking down here, I've got a little mini desk no with pen. my notes here. So I'm going to catch someone. If someone's up to shenanigans, Janet, Pete, Margaret, boy, number two. <laughs> if one of you are up to something, Nick's going to know. Detective Nick's going to know. That's right. So Listen, we'll, no one gets watch one past it. Nick. That's right. Solved every mystery. Come on the show. Well, and to think about it in, in the narrative is the same way as what I would do as a parent, right? I rush into the room. I hear the scream, blood curling scream. I rush into the room and then I hear, cause it said she heard it too. When she walked in, right. It said that she started checking for other things, right? Mm-hmm. But this is where I get confused. Why are you checking for something when you've lived there for 13 years? You know, there's nothing right. there. Yeah. And what kind of mechanism could there be? Um, I think what, what they indicated kinda, and I'm assuming Mm -hmm. this is what they're referring to. At first it was thought that one of the kids was pulling a prank with like strings to shake it. And you got to remember you, the, the bed frames back then were very different than today. So I can only assume they rattled and probably clunked around just getting into the bed. Like I remember some of the beds when I was younger Mm -hmm. was extremely loud. Yeah, I, so, I can picture that now. And it's all metal too, right? So yeah. you don't know that it's vibrating. You just hear a god-awful noise. Right, and kids screaming, and it, so. And I'm trying to remember. Um, I can't remember if it's hard war, hardwood or if it's carpet in there. I've got photos of the room. Right. Which you guys are going to see photos of the room. I've actually sent all the files to Nick and I said, don't look at them yet. And right. I'm deliberately going to wait until we get to that point before he's allowed to look at him. <laughs> oh, this, that, that's the hardest part of this. I want to click that link right now, but oh, it's, I'll refrain. I'll refrain. It's very, I, I put in there what I think is the best photos of the events. Cause there's, if there's not thousands or hundreds, there's thousands of photos right, and video. Right. There's hours of audio, hours of audio and video. Yeah. There's video of this too. Now, also, Nick, we're not going to remember, see that. No, no, okay. I can't. I can't put it in here because there's a fine line in what I'm comfortable with providing. And if someone oh, yeah. wanted to say this is my material, I can go. This is fair use. Yeah. Videos that gray area where I'm like I'm not comfortable. But if you want to go after the podcast, okay. After the podcast, go and look at the videos because it's going to blow your mind. Some of the things you see, it blew my mind. Then again, there was things where I'm like, "Mm, that looks a little sus. Yeah. But that's the thing. You can't always tell things apart like that. No. And think about this. This is the other thing that blows my mind about this, Nick, is at this point, the events are just now occurring. It's 13 years later. The mom's coming in. Like, what do you, what's your next plan of action? Like, you look and there's nothing there. Like. Do you instantly think this is haunted or do you still think it's your kids doing it? Right. 
Well, me, haunted. See, I'm me, out. I'd be like, one of my kids <laughs> did this. One of my heathens yeah. is doing this. This is not a haunted location. We've lived here 13 years and we've never had an occurrence. Now, all of a sudden, it's happening. I would be a little sus on that. You you ever watch The Simpsons? Yes. Yeah, see that episode where one of the kids tell uh, Homer that they're afraid of boogeyman's in the house? <laughs> and instead no. of him like being, oh, that's ridiculous, he's like, oh, my God. And he freaks <laughs> out. That's you. <laughs> that's, that's me. You, that's me. Kids tell me there's a ghost. There's a darn ghost. That That's proof. Proof enough for Nick. That's right. Yeah, flip well, the this, beds over. <laughs> at this point, I mean, if I'm the parent, I'm leaning back going, why are they doing this? Like, sometimes right. kids just want a, attention. Mm-hmm. That would be the first, because like now, especially, right? I've got three. Right. Sometimes a kid feels left out, so they do things to get attention. Yeah. So I don't know. It's an interesting thought process here in the beginning of what was going through the mom's mind. If it was, they just moved in and this happened. I think everyone go with that's haunted, but the fact yeah. that it was 13 years, that's a little, it's a little different. See, we're missing some serious information that we need to make a judgment to. Okay. Um, how hard is it rattling? Like, is this something that we could reasonably think a kid's doing? Or maybe maybe it's beyond that. Their their frame of reference was the bed was vibrating profusely, is what they said. Okay. Okay. Now, what that equals out to, I don't know. I mean, and again, we talked about this in previous stories. When something like that happens, your brain automatically starts playing games anyway. Right. So it may not have things. been a whole lot but it could have got exaggerated a little bit too. Right. Plus when she runs in, it's dark already. Um, you know, do we don't know if it continued after she turned on the lights or was it continuing it as she was checking the beds? Oh no, it had already stopped at that point. Okay. So okay. it continued on. She came into the room. My understanding is they turned the light on and then the bed still was vibrating slightly, but then it stopped. Okay. All right. But again, if you're a parent, you come in and you're a kid and you're like, I caught you. It's going to stop, right? There's not going to yeah, keep going. Yeah, exactly. Because you're going to see a kid going like this. I mean, yeah. that's kind of an indication, you know, the kid's shaking, you know. So yeah. again, if I'm the parent, I'm going either Janet or Peter, you're doing this. Someone fess right. up. Yep. So how I'm going to roll this, I'm mm-hmm. going to role play that I'm, okay. I'm the parent. I'm one of the parents. Okay. I just walked in. I flicked on the light. The bed mm-hmm. stopped shaking. I'm skeptical. What are you kids up to? I think it's you kids. I do not think it's a poltergeist yet. Nothing, Mom. I, listen, this was happening. I, it could have been Peter. I'm not sure. I don't know why I chose the Janet role, but we're going with Janet. I don't know why okay. Peter's doing this, Ma. Yeah, and I'm and I'm still the mother, I guess. Yeah, uh, you're the mother. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to do the voice. <laughs> I'm not going to do the voice, but uh, I think it's one of you kids. I'm no. skeptical. No, don't ground me. Ground Peter. Oh, we'll see. I'm not going to sort this out tonight, but we're talk adoption in the morning. <laughs> wow. <No, I'm> <laughs> Straight to adoption. Kidding, Good kidding, night. kidding. <laughs> Good No, night. but I, I'd be skeptical. I'm skeptical at this point. Like you said, I'm used to the kids. 
I got three of them, four of them. I keep forgetting boy number yeah, two. Yeah, you need to remember how many two. kids you've got, Nick. Good yeah, night. I've, I've got four kids. I can't give them equal attention. I'm a single parent. Kind they act up from time he? to time. I know. I'm, they not, do act I'm up. not a great. Yeah. So, so someone might be looking for attention. Right now, I'm thinking it's kid shenanigans. Which is exactly what I thought when I started researching. Right. right. Like when I go into research, my frame of mind is this is fake. How do I yep. prove it's fake? Because if I can prove it's fake, you'll never hear the story on this podcast. Right. If I'm researching and I go 100%, there's no way the story exists, you'll never hear it. And if you yeah. send it to me and I've researched it already and I know it's fake, I'm going to be like, I'm never going to do a story around that. It's, yeah. there's too it, much it's no story stuff. if it's fake. Correct. There's, there's so no story. I came it's just in, some hoax. Correct. So I came into this, Nick, when I first heard it, I said, this could very easily be a kid that needs attention. And right. that's what I'm going with from the get go. Yeah. I'm with you right now. You ready to hear the next part? Yes. As the calendar pages turned and the weeks blended into months, the Hodgson family found themselves trapped in an ever-escalating cycle of paranormal events. It wasn't just the bumps in the night or the strange noises. Their lives were becoming the set for a tapestry of unsettling and inexplicable occurrences. Imagine the innocence of a child's toy, perhaps a small stuffed animal or a plastic soldier. Now, envision the same object imbued with an unsettling energy, its innocence transformed into something disquieting. On multiple occasions, toys, once playthings of joy, would come to life in an uncanny fashion. They didn't just fall from shelves or tables, these objects would launch themselves across rooms as though hurled by an invisible arm. The air would grow heavy, filled with an electrical charge, as if a storm were brewing indoors. The trajectories were not random. These toys would often aim directly at family members or crash into walls with force. It wasn't a gentle glide or a casual topple. These were propelled movements, powerful and precise, as if mocking the laws of physics. Observers, neighbors, journalists, and even skeptical investigators would sometimes witness these events, their faces morphing from incredulity to genuine concern. For them, these were disturbing anomalies. For the Hodgson family, it was a daily reality, a series of events that gnawed at their sanity. With each new episode, it was becoming clear the family wasn't just experiencing random events, they were under siege. The entities, or whatever forces were at play, had a malignant intentionality. The weight of ongoing scrutiny, disbelief from the community, and the inexplicable occurrences were wearing down the Hodgsons, corroding their resilience. It was no longer just about coexisting with the unknown. It was a battle for emotional and psychological survival. Their home, once a sanctuary, had become an arena of enigmas and uncertainties. Each new event wasn't just a singular occurrence. It was another thread woven into the tapestry of their haunting, complex narrative. So now, Nick, if you're a kid, right, you have, right. like at nighttime, you have the security of going to a bed you're comfortable with and get a good night's sleep. Mm -hmm. That was taken away months ago. Right. You're still hear hearing the bumps in the night and the, the random noises. And now you question, again, as a kid, you're starting to question mm -hmm. everything. Right. But then the very fabric, the one safe haven and the one tool of imagination for any child is their toys. Right. Now, not even those are safe. 
So as a child, I can only assume this event was beyond our comprehension of being restless, stressed out. Right. Because again, the parents are getting divorced. We don't know how far into that divorce we are. So you already have that stress. Mm -hmm. Then you got the bed shaking. Even if you're Margaret and it didn't happen directly to you, you know what happened. And then you, what's the next thing you thought is, when's it going to happen to me? Yeah. When's it going to get me? What's, what's going to happen to me? Cause I can't even see this thing. I don't know when it's coming. Right. I don't know if it's here. I don't know if it's gone. Now your toys aren't even safe. So the, right. the thing that you take your mind away from everything, that's now not safe. So this was, this was, uh, this started in August, 1977, right? Uh, 78, I believe. Maybe it was 78. 77. I thought it was 78. All right. I'm going to put 77, 78 here. Mm-hmm. Um, so this has been going along for a couple months now or what have you. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple things that you said that made me, that jogged some memories for me. And I verified this with my father last time I went to see him. Okay. Did we talk before about, um, about like old toys and telephones during lightning storms? Did we talk about Oh, that sometimes they would make random noises. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Like when, when there was electricity in the air, which is something you specifically mentioned in this, phones would ring. And when I was a kid, before lightning storms and during, it would sort of, the energy in the air would overcharge some of my toys. Like I had a remote control tank with a claw on the end that all the lights would come on and it would start driving around the room. That's, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what I'm picturing. And that features in the movie Poltergeist. Yes. I'm picturing since this is like the late seventies, they have similar kind of toys maybe at this house. Oh, I'm maybe sure. that electricity in the air is affecting that. And we all always talk about electromagnetic fields when we're talking about ghosts and stuff. Oh, for sure. So, yeah. Well, and here's something the narration didn't really cover. So right. the first event that occurred was the bed shaking. Right. Days later, there was a new event, and it was at nighttime that the chairs in the kitchen would mm-hmm. start moving. But you didn't right. see it. You heard it because everyone's in bed. Right. So they would they would hear these chairs in the kitchen starting to move. So not mm-hmm. even in the kids' room. This is in the kitchen. Right. Then they would start hearing other things starting to move. So picture frames. Uh, At this point in time, they started hearing knocks on the wall. This is very typical of poltergeist in the beginning. Yes. Very typical. Yeah. And then in addition to that, at this point, the toys started. They said originally the toys were just kind of getting flung a small distance. Right. As time progressed, where we're at in the narration now, toys are Mm -hmm. flying and smashing into the wall. But the toys like you're referring to, which is very Mm -hmm. typical of that time frame, you got to remember, this is a poorer family. They didn't have a lot of these high-end stuff. So it's going to be like dolls. Um, There's one I really don't want to give it away because it's in the narrative. It's coming up. Okay. Um, We're... We're going to cover a toy where you're like, this is not just electrical. Right. Um, 
I, I guess now, the point I was kind of making with that is that's one piece mm-hmm. that is eaten away at my skepticism now. Oh, for sure. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. hundred percent. The other interesting thing, and again, I've done, this will be my second podcast on this. So I'm trying to remember what's in mm-hmm. this story and what's in mine, but I don't think I'm giving anything away on this one. At this point, the mom's like, I don't even know what to do. Like, right. I've looked, I've seen. So she starts going to her neighbors and saying, Hey, do you have stuff going on in your house? Mm. And the neighbors are like, what are you talking about? And she goes, I'm having this stuff happening. So now the neighbors are coming over at nighttime. Mm -hmm. They're seeing these events also. Right. So like the other stories, it's not just Janet, uh, Margaret, Peter, boy number two, and mom. (laughs) Poor kid. (laughs) That poor kid, man. (laughs) Boy number two. It's also a series of neighbors that's seeing this in addition. Yeah. So we're building witness list now. Oh, yeah. We haven't even got to the good witness, uh, the witnesses yet. Right, right. So the neighbors are like, no, we don't, we don't know what this is. That's crazy. Like, you should probably go to someone. Yeah. Who does she go to? Do you know? The church. No, that would be uh, honestly probably the right answer. She went to the police, <laughs> Nick. To the police. Uh, man, they ain't got ghost cuffs. What's, what's she doing? No, they don't have any of that stuff. So she goes to the police. The police comes. Mm. Right. And there's actually a interview that's on the news with the police coming out of the house. Okay. So the, the news is there. The news now has this information. Right. And they're like, we heard there's paranormal activity in there. And the police mm-hmm. is like, we don't know what we just saw. That That's a crazy statement for police officers to make. Correct. Especially this, these stereotypically stiff British police officers. Correct. But what was funny about it is, so the mm-hmm. mom's like, well, what do I do? And the police are like, well, this is clearly a disturbance, but. In a different dimension, like there's nothing we can do for you. Yeah, this is outside of our jurisdiction. This, this is, is like a uh, little, little out you of know, it. This is the shadow realm. We have we're not licensed there. <laughs> we're not, we don't have jurisdiction in the shadow realm. Yeah, you need to call like the crypt keeper, or the gatekeeper, or something. You know, exactly, exactly. In a case like this, you'd have to, but. You know, I find we're building that story like we was with the other ones. Mm-hmm. We're now yeah. multiple people seeing it. So it starts with the family. Mm-hmm. It moves to the neighbors. The neighbors are like, dude, this is out of my realm. Right. She goes to the police. Now the police know about it. But because yeah. everyone's starting to talk about it, mm-hmm. the news finds out. It, in terms of this being a story, I'm glad she went to the police because this lends some oh, legitimacy yeah. Uh, to this and would we even be talking about it if she went right to the church maybe not maybe not you know but and maybe this is just me thinking right Mm -hmm. if i had this happen what what could the police do for me like if this happened to me today i wouldn't even think to call the police no i i mean there's very little i would call the police for anyway but sure nothing like this nick ain't no snitch that's right. That's right. <laughs> Snitches get stitches. That's right. That's right. 
I got stitches, but I ain't a snitch. Snitch. <laughs> Any anyway, the the police aren't going to help you with some kind of supernatural thing. That's just no. straight up not going to happen. But the list of people is expanding. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's expanding quick. But just as important, like with that interview with the police, they're like, I don't know what this was. Mm-hmm. We saw it. Right. I believe they said they saw a chair move on its own. Yeah. So, again, if you're going, well, it could have been one of the girls or one of the kids. The police isn't going to look at this chair move and not check it out. Yeah, they're not going to be like having a little kid stand next to it, like nudging it with their toe. Correct. Like, and yeah. in addition to that, their whole point is to disprove whatever it is and go, right, ma'am, this is what's going on. Your kid's clearly doing this. Just ground your kid and keep moving her back then spank your kid or whatever it was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They don't want to be handling this kind of thing. No. Like they're, this, they're probably to the, to the council houses all the time. Oh, for they sure. get there. They just want to get in and get out. And then all of a Correct. sudden they're up against something and they're like, uh, okay, this is a little bit out of our ability. Correct. That's where I went from believing that maybe the kids had something to do, do with it to going, right. Okay. There's something here. Yeah. What is that something? Yeah. These cops aren't dumb. Something's up. Correct. And if you look at the two in the interview, they seem to be very on it. They, yeah, they saw something, right? What they saw, we don't know, but they definitely saw something. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm glad she called them in this case. And oh, I can sure. kind of it see her validity. point of view. Yeah. I can see her point of view too, because you want to get someone in there who's not prone to fancy or imagining oh, yeah. things. You get the cops, you might know that they're not going to be able to do anything about it, but at least they can say, Hey, you're not crazy. I'm seeing this too. That's true. So that might be a good reason to bring them in. That is true. That yeah, Nick. I guess I never thought about it from that perspective. You're you're right. Yeah. It it kind of, if anything, it leads to their thought process of, I'm not crazy. This has occurred. This is an outsider. This isn't my neighbors yeah. who's just telling me, yeah, just to get me to shut up about it. Yeah, this is Cops a police officer. Play along. And on top along. of that, if someone, if you're telling someone else and they're like, "There's no way that happens," you could say the police was there. They saw. Yeah. It. Or so, yeah. additionally, bonus, if someone is messing with you, they see the cops there, that might get them to back off. That could very well get them to back off. It would make me back yeah. off, Nick. <laughs> I mean, so, we're not ghosts, though, so that's the problem. We are not ghosts. Thank God for that, yeah. Nick. Yeah. I'll be there one day. Off. I'm just not there yet. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Let's haunt someone. I can't wait. Exactly. <laughs> Ghost high five. <laughs> high five. You ready for the next one, Nick? <laughs> Let's do it. September of that same year bore witness to more inexplicable phenomena. Janet and Margaret, the youngest of Peggy's children, reported a phenomenon that would send shivers down anyone's spine. Their beds levitated off the floor as though defying the very laws of gravity itself. These events were not isolated. They became the subject of community gossip, and neighbors were drawn into the chilling vortex of the unknown. It was clear that something inexplicable was unfolding within the walls of the Hodgson home. A once ordinary house on Green Street had become a crucible of paranormal activity, the likes of which had rarely been seen. 
So they're levitating okay. out of the beds. Yes. So there's no reports that tell how high off the ground the beds levitated. But right. there was a guesstimation mm-hmm. of about 18 inches. Ooh, that's high. So we're we're not talking a small amount. We're talking, right. you know, a foot and then another six. I mean, that's a significant yeah. amount off the ground. That's that's a subway foot long and a half. Correct. Like that. <laughs> now, the other part of this. Right. Is it levitated Janet's bed mm-hmm. and Margaret's bed? Both. Right. So now we've got the two beds going on. And this is frequently, it said. Frequent occurrence. Um, A kid, I doubt a kid could lift a bed 18 inches standing next to it. Very unlikely. And not perfectly even. Right, right. I mean, think Um, about it. Like, as an adult, we can't do that. Yeah, and even if they were jumping full force on the bed, an 11 and a 13-year-old, that's not going to cause it to levitate. So they're on the bed and it's levitating. Yeah, now, now the skeptic hat's gone. So <laughs> I see something like this. I'm like, something is up. Something's up. Something's up. I Something's can't explain that. Right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. And it happens yeah. frequently. And probably we've got other witnesses as well. Especially my people under- are guesstimating. My understanding is that, and this is what I thought was kind of different. Mm-hmm. At this point in time, there's witnesses, but they're coming into the room and then the beds are falling. Right. right. So when they came in again, your mind's going to play so much of a trick. Let's say it's not 18 inches. Right. Eight inches, five inches. You know, that's still a significant height. Right. And right. again, if it a were, kid's not going to be able to do that while laying yeah. on Yeah. Yeah. If it's an inch. Two inches, maybe on on the outside three on one side, but you know, I'm, I'm just entering the room. Maybe I can't tell, but if it's it's four, five, six, seven, eight, up to 18 inches and it's only one side, you can tell because there's going to be a noticeable slope. And if they're on the beds, how not possible, impossible, hundred percent impossible. Right. Right. So I'm on board now. Now we've got something going on here. (laughs) <laughs> Nick's like, I'm on it. I got this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah this, we got something this going part on. of the, this part of the story really kind of, for me, intensive, like the rest of it, you can say, uh, you know, maybe someone did something, even if you don't want to admit the cop section of it, maybe you bribe the cop into whatever, right? Now you're yeah. having multiple people that's watching something defy the rules of gravity. Right. That there's no faking that. That either existed yeah. or it did not. So either it's bold lies mm-hmm. by somebody or this happened. And it's right. It's one of two camps. It really is one of two camps. Yeah, the hmm. See what I'm running through my head is like how how could we if we had the help of a couple kids how could we fake this if we, the adults, were in on it? What's our possibilities for that? Um, can't be mechanisms like they said before, because anyone witnesses it's going to look under the bed, that kind of thing. Correct. Can't be ropes or 
pulleys or anything because that's too obvious. People are going to see that. We can't coach the kids to do this because kids don't have that kind of strength and they're on top of the beds. Correct. And I'm just, it would have to be a mechanism. It It would have have to to be. be. Or someone underneath the bed lifting it with their feet. That's the only other caveat. Yeah. And people are definitely going to look under the bed. Oh, thousand percent. Yeah. Thousand percent. I would. Yeah. This would be very hard to fake. Very hard. Very hard to fake. And the best part is Nick, Mm-hmm. This isn't even the best evidence yet. No, I figured it wasn't considering how far we are into this. Like you're, you're not going to, you're not going to launch the fireworks at the beginning of the show. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no way, Nick. You're not getting the good stuff right away. Oh boy. Oh boy. All right. <laughs> you ready yeah, for give some me, more? Give me some stuff. Give me some stuff. <laughs> Here you go. All right. Before diving into the world of the paranormal, Peggy Hodgson took the more traditional roads for help. At her wit's end and desperate for any kind of assistance, she first turned to her neighbors. She wondered if perhaps they had experienced something similar, something that could rationalize the incomprehensible happenings in her own home. Her next step was to involve the authorities. Policemen arrived at the Hodgson residence, skeptical but willing to investigate. What they encountered defied explanation. Furniture moved before their eyes, propelled by an invisible force. Though they documented these baffling events, they ultimately admitted that this was outside the realm of criminal law. The police could offer no answers, no protection. It was a domestic disturbance without a culprit. Would divine intervention be the answer? At this point in their ordeal, the Hodgsons had not yet sought the counsel of religious figures. With the doors of conventional help slamming shut one after the other, Peggy had little choice but to step into the more shadowy realms of the unexplained. All right, so now they're going where I would have gone first. Yeah, me too. I would have <laughs> gone there also, if we're being a buck. So with the religious standpoint, there it's a little bit different than how you and I would still go about it. So they didn't go straight to the synagogue or to a church. They seeked out the assistance of paranormal investigators. Oh, okay. That's, yeah. Um, I guess that wouldn't have been my next stop. (laughs) No, that would not have been mine either. I mean, I guess we're kind of that thing. Agreed. We're kind of that. We're those guys. We might show up. We, I guarantee if we were there, we would show up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A thousand percent. Now, you have to understand the investigators, and it's going to cover that in the next section. Mm-hmm. They come in, and at first they just wanted to see. They didn't want to waste their time either. Right. They had saw the news. They had talked to the neighbors because she's like, "Dude, talk to the neighbors. They've seen mm. it. They had obviously heard the news." So they end up coming to the house, and right away, within a very short time frame they start getting acknowledgments that there's something else here. Right. But at first they thought it may have been the kids or the family just trying to better themselves or become almost like a celebrity at that point. (laughs) They're going through the stages of disbelief that we've gone through like tonight. They're, They're a little bit behind us. They, in everything that I read, 
they came in with a very open mind. There was two right. main investigators. Again, that's going to be covered in the, in the next section. Mm. They come in, they, they do the investigations and they go, this is haunted. We want to scientifically prove this right. because okay. that's something that hadn't really been done at this point. Yeah. The the other thing I'm wondering, and maybe I'm jumping ahead at any, like at this stage, they're definitely thinking it's something paranormal. Do you know if anyone's tried any communication with whatever this is? Like the knocks on the I do know the, the answer to that. Oh, okay. Is that a future segment too? Yes. Okay. All right. I'm not, I'm it, not going to pursue it right now then. It's either the next segment or the one after that. Okay. Okay. I'm interested in that because the knocking on walls is usually how they start to communicate with a lot of these things in different stories. Correct. Because at this point, you got to understand this point in the case, they're hearing noises. There's no real communication. The family right. doesn't even know how to communicate with it. They have no clue. Yeah. So there's something I, there, I, Nick. They don't know what it is. <laughs> I would have been yelling at it already. Like, what the heck do you want? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But again, they were there for 13 years before this stuff started happening. And then yeah. out of nowhere, it blows up. Like, look at where they're at now. Yeah. We've been kind of glancing over that too. 13 years. 13. Right. Unlucky number. Oh, you're right, Nick. I didn't even think about that till you just said that. Coincidence? I think not. I think not. Yeah. 13. Solved it. Let me put pick 13 here. <laughs> Circle that. Yep. They lived there too long. They should have moved out at year 12. Yeah. yeah. You can't live anywhere 13 years. A ghost just pops a door right open to the nether regions. How long have I lived here? I might need to move, Nick. Uh-oh. Tw- Uh-oh. <laughs> Wait, let me check my calendar. 12 years, 11 months, 30 days. Uh-oh. We got to go. <laughs> you ready to know about the paranormal investigators, Nick? Yeah, I'm I'm really interested in this part because I know a lot about <laughs> what they should be doing. Let's see what they do. The events that unfolded within the walls of the Hodgson home took an even darker turn, pushing the boundaries of the unexplained into realms of unimaginable horror. The nighttime disturbances had become a relentless torment for Peggy and her children. The chairs that moved of their own accord and the eerie knocking sounds had become an ominous overture, building towards something far more unsettling. It was during one of these long, terror-filled nights that the Hodgsons would confront an entity that defied all rational understanding, a voice that seemed to emanate from the very air itself. It began as a faint whisper, a disembodied murmur that drifted through the darkness. Peggy and her children huddled together, their faces etched with fear, straining to discern the words. The voice grew stronger, clearer, and it carried a sinister message. The entity that had taken residence within the Hodgson home was no longer content with merely unsettling the family. It sought to communicate, to make its presence known in the most chilling manner possible. As the voice gained clarity, it claimed to be that of a former resident of the house, a man who had passed away years earlier. The entity spoke of darkness and despair, of a restless spirit trapped in a liminal realm between the living and the dead. The voice was not the gentle whisper of a friendly ghost, but a malevolent force that taunted and threatened. It mocked the family, revealing secrets that it seemingly had no way of knowing. It knew the names, ages, and even the private thoughts and fears of the Hodgson family members. 
It addressed Janet, saying, You're 11, right? And taunted Billy with chilling phrases like, I know you're scared. These revelations left the family in a state of profound fear and disbelief. How could this entity possess such intimate knowledge? And what sinister purpose lay behind its communication? All right, Nick. So you have to understand, paranormal investigators come in. Mm -hmm. They see all this activity. Yep. At this point, there's knocking and banging. They've not moved in yet to investigate all this. Right. Paranormal investigators dip. And now one night they're laying there and they hear a very ominous voice. Mm-hmm. A disembodied voice from thin air. Yes. And on top of that, to make the situation worse, not only is it talking to you, it knows what you're thinking. I know. So question period. Mm-hmm. Do we know if it knew what multiple people were thinking or only certain people said this, reported this? Every single person that was in the house, including, okay. because this, this is not in the story, including the investigators that will come in later that's outside right. of the realm of the family. Okay, that's pretty wild. And th- yeah. so now, from my experience... We're firmly outside of poltergeist territory, like the traditional poltergeist. Now this at least is making it seem like it's the ghost of a former resident. But this is given me. Which it said it was. Right. It said it was. But this is giving me big, like, demonic vibes. And those suckers lie. They do lie. They lie a lot. Yeah. And think oh. about it. If you're a former resident and you, let's say, typically when you're dealing with these ghosts, this is my realm, mm-hmm. Nick. This is, I know, right. listen, I've studied demonology. Yeah. I've studied the paranormal. I have mm-hmm. books upstairs that would blow your mind. I probably have 20 some books on this stuff. Nice. One of my favorite demonologists, his name was Derek Prince. He died, pro- I don't know when he died, a long time ago. He wrote a book. I forget what the name of it is. I'm a horrible reader, but it was interesting what he wrote in his book, which fits into this segment. Mm-hmm. He talked about how he was a world-renowned demonologist. That was his job. Right. He would go into locations and he would, if depending on your level of belief, right? For those of you that don't believe in this part, just follow my story. Right. Derek Prince One of the stories that he told, which still gives me goosebumps to this day, Mm -hmm. he had already cast out multiple demons. So as a demonologist, he was also a religious uh, gentleman. He would go in and he would, his job was not necessarily exorcism, Mm -hmm. but he would work with the priests to get an exorcism to, to basically occur. Right. And I, I think that's a specific job actually. Yeah, I forget what he called it. It's uh, He basically worked in conjunction with the priest, but he would right. also help cast them out. But he wasn't mm. licensed within the church. Yeah. There, there's pretty, now, um, not to get off topic, but there's mm-hmm. pretty stringent, a, a very long and stringent list of things that have to occur in order for them to even consider an exorcism. Uh, with oh, Catholics yeah. anyway. Um, Big time, yeah. 
Yeah. Big time. And you got to understand, Derek Perrins, a lot of times he would be sent to a location first to see, right. is this place, you know, demonic or not? Mm-hmm. He told this story and it sends cold shields down me just thinking about it. He went to Africa, which right. is amazing in and of itself, right? Like he's mm-hmm. world renowned here in the States. Right. They called him into Africa. Now he had already cast out or helped cast out multiple demons here in the States. They called mm-hmm. him there because there was a, tr- uh, a tribe that had this occurrence that was occurring there was a specific demon and typically the, not to give away all the facets, but what a demonologist, right. what they have to do is figure out the name. Yeah. Names have power. The name of the demon. Most important thing you can ever do. And most demons will mm-hmm. try to hold that. Right. So he gets there and he finally meets with someone that supposedly is demon or uh, that is, uh, what's it called? They're possessed uh, or possessed. Right. So he's talking to this demon quote unquote mm-hmm. demon, right? And he doesn't necessarily believe that it's a demon at first. He just thinks this person's right. acting. And this demon gets mad mm-hmm. because he's goes, basically he's talking to someone and he goes, I don't, honestly, I don't, this person probably needs something other than me. And the yeah. demon gets ticked off and calls him by name. Derry right. And he turns around, he goes, well, if you're so strong, what's your name? And the demon starts laughing and he goes, I'm not falling for that. And he goes, well, how can you prove to me that you're a demon then? He gave the last three cases that he expelled the demon out. Oh, they've they've been talking around hell's water cooler. Come to find out he was one of the demons that he cast out, Ah. I believe, two or three times before that. But he was eyewitness to the other right. ones too. Right. And then okay. the moment Derek heard that, he turned around and he goes, No, this is legit. This this yep. right here is legit. Like that information, no one knew that. His wife didn't even know. Right. And and to sort of link this back to our story, um, mm-hmm. I think with a lot of like cases of possession and oppression, um, which is an earlier stage of that, as you know, uh yes. has levitation. And correct that kind of thing. And we've seen that in this story. Correct. So, yeah. So but we did a little the circle there I, that was important. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. Well, like in this Derek Prince case, the whole reason right. I told that story is the demon used information because the demon wants to be like, listen, I'm powerful, right? right. I'm just like God. I, I hold all this together. You've seen what I can do, Right. Now the demons are talking directly to them, which could be anything, mm-hmm. right? At first they're listening because they can't understand what it is. Now it has so much power that it's like, little Billy, I know you're scared. How creepy would that be? Yeah, that's oh a Freddy Krueger kind of thing. There, you know, It is. That is creepy, dude. Yeah. That's so creepy. I would say, I, man, I would love to work with the church in like diagnosing these cases. Now I, I'm not religious as you know, but I would yes. love to have that job. I would love to. Here's have the job. thing. Here's the thing. And this is something, mm-hmm. you know, it was funny because I was talking to my mom the other day and when I was talking, cause I told her, I said, what, like the ultimate goal of yeah. Nick and I is to do like an investigation somewhere. And she mm-hmm. goes, well, do you have any sage? And I'm like, 
No. She goes, well, you know, these things can follow you home, right? And we'll that's just have a turkey dinner before we go. <laughs> <laughs> they ain't going to follow dressing. us. Our breath smell like sage. Everything's sage. Like sage. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but it goes <laughs> to show. Like if you was to get into that kind of, and even Derek mm-hmm. Prince's first page of his books say, yeah. just by reading this, you're opening mm-hmm. yourself up to right. the spiritual realm. Yeah. So it's like, and, and I think how provided this stuff is true, I would believe mm-hmm. that that could be a thing. Well, that's the thing. They say that movies and television shows open portals mm-hmm. to that kind of activity also. Yeah. Now the thing with demonic possession which goes back to our conversation like you say there's right. typically oppression depression mm-hmm. depression yep. then it goes to oppression yep typically there's a conduit of that though so like if you look at all the famous cases right like right. probably the the best case ever is Roland Doe okay the movie the exorcist Yep. That was the story of Roland Doe, but obviously they they used a girl instead right. as the main character. But Roland Doe, if you go back and you look at that story, mm-hmm. what caused that entire situation, they believe, was, an, was a, a Ouija board. Right. There wasn't any of this His, Pazuzu from an archaeological site. Like that was all right. fictionalized. Correct. So when you think about this, then you, you start questioning, well, what was the, the conduit, right? Like what caused this to start occurring? There mm. was no Ouija board. Right. There was no witchcraft going on in the house. I'm sure that'd be the first thing if you're a paranormal investigator and you walk in, you go, what is that? Why do you have that? Right. Why is there a star in the middle of your floor with a circle around it? Like, why do you have chickens with their heads cut off? Like, they're going to question some things. <laughs> right, you know? right. It would be pretty obvious. none of that. So, yeah. I guess my question at this point is, well, what was the conduit then? Yeah, what's the catalyst to this situation? Or the catalyst, yes. Yeah. Which we, we've not got any information on that yet. I don't know if you're going to present me some. And, and you know what? Maybe it's not this, but it's got like... That's saying if it quacks like a duck and walks like a duck, it's probably a duck. Correct. This, this, this probably feels a duck. demonic to me. I guess we'll have to find out, Nick. I guess so. Let's do it. Let's find out. The story began in the local community where whispers of the inexplicable phenomena spread like wildfire. Neighbors, friends, and acquaintances who had witnessed the strange occurrences firsthand shared their accounts. The word soon reached local media outlets and newspapers and radio stations began reporting on the bizarre happenings. As the media coverage expanded, the story reached a wider audience, drawing the attention of not only curious onlookers, but also skeptics who questioned the validity of the claims. Some arrived at the Hodgson home with a skeptical attitude, hoping to uncover a natural explanation for the disturbances. It was within this climate of intrigue and skepticism that Peggy Hodgson, the family's matriarch, took the bold step of contacting the Society for Psychical Research, a respected organization known for investigating paranormal phenomena. Morris Gross and Guy Lyon Playfair, two dedicated members of the SPR, answered Peggy's call for help, arriving at the Hodgson home with a commitment to uncover the truth behind the inexplicable events that had seized the family's life. 
From there, the investigators set up recording equipment, observed the phenomena, and conducted extensive interviews with family members and witnesses. Their efforts would document and scrutinize every aspect of the mystery that was the Enfield poltergeist. The Hodgsons, caught in a nightmarish web of fear and uncertainty, reached out to anyone who might provide answers. Paranormal investigators were summoned, skeptical onlookers became witnesses, and the world began to take notice of the enigma that was the Enfield poltergeist. Yet, as the investigations would soon reveal, the voice was but one piece of a much larger and more complex puzzle. What could drive a force to torment a family in such a sinister manner? And what secrets lay hidden within the walls of the Hodgson home? Ooh. <laughs> spicy. This is spicy, Bert. Oh, yeah. See, here's... here's, And I try to, I try to layer this because... I don't want us to forget key details as we right. go along. So we go from the occurrences happen with the family. The family mm-hmm. acknowledges it. She goes to the neighbors. Neighbors is no help. She goes to the police. The police is no help. Right. News is there. Now we've got paranormal investigators just coming going, hey, what's going on? Mm-hmm. She lets a few into the house. They're, but they're the basic ones, right? Right. Now she's contacted an organization of paranormal investigators. Right. So this is the society two. for psychical research, right? Correct. And what they do is they try to take a scientific approach. Right. To the Which is what we need. That's what Correct. we need. Correct. So now what they're doing is they're staying in the house 24 seven. Right. So they've basically moved into this, this house. Right. They're setting up audio recording equipment in which other mm-hmm. paranormal active or paranormal investigators did too. But the interesting thing is when the other paranormal investigators came in, the voices never came on. The voices right. never existed. They right. would hear the knocks. They would see things move, but the levels were different. Right. So what this society came in and, and what they said was, well, wait a second. Why is other investigators coming in and this isn't occurring? We want to be here 24-7 and we want to record everything. Right. And that's when the fun started happening. Yeah. I I don't know if you've noticed this or not, and I find myself doing this a lot. But the more Mm -hmm. into a story I'm getting, I slowly start approaching my mic like I'm (laughs) leaning in. And I got to remind myself. Yeah, to stay away. Like I'm getting really into it, so I want to lean forward. <laughs> like, like I'll get more details if I'm listening. To the mic. Oh, yeah, exactly, Nick. So they named, and I'm sorry if you don't have this right in front of you. I'm just trying to get as much detail as I can for my notes here. They named the um, the two guys from the Society for Psychical Research. Do you remember what their names were? So the two names is Maurice Gross and Guy Lyon Playfair. Now that's L-Y-O-N. I'm assuming that's Lyon. Guy Ryan Playfair. Two dedicated members of the SPR. Now, I don't know if I'm imagining this. I've never heard Mm -hmm. of the second guy, Lyon. But Maurice Gross, that sounds like a very familiar name. And I'm going to have to look that up later. You know, I thought that too. I've so there's photos that I can't have you open yet. There's a picture of Maurice. 
we're getting right. close. We're almost there, Nick. Like we're almost, we're almost to where you can see these photos. Like we're yeah. probably the next segment is where everything's going to kind of break loose and you're going right. to have some, so we're like some toys. Christmas Eve. <laughs> or Christmas Eve. This Correct. thing that I can open. All right. All right. Correct. Now I'll the interesting, the interesting part of this investigation right now, Nick, and I don't know if you caught this in the narration. The investigators come, but who else came? Skeptics. Right. Yes, I did catch that. So now there's a team that's came in and they're like, we're going to disprove this. This is clearly not a ghost. We're going to listen. Paranormal investigators, right? You're wasting your time. We're going to prove this. We'll be in and out. We'll be out in like five minutes. Right. A lot of the stuff, and this is not uncommon, right? Like every story where there is, at least for ghosts and paranormal, right? Mm-hmm. These skeptics will come in and they'll start shattering it, but based on what is tangible from a scientific standpoint. Right. And, you know, I guess I never noticed this until I started doing research for like my podcast on different different shows. Like I've got five in the hopper for that podcast right now. Mm-hmm. The one thing, because I've got a section called skeptic. Right. They always do the same thing. So let's use, for example, the knocking that that's being heard, right? When the investigators are there, they're still hearing the knocking. Typically the first thing they go to, it's animals. The house is right. sitting. Yeah. You know, settling. There's rats in the walls. Mm-hmm. And and instead of looking at it from a different perspective, that's their answer. Like there's no negotiations. Yeah, we we talked about that a little bit on the previous episode. How um what was it? The the glowing thing was ma like all oh, the owls. Yeah. Or and the owls. About Shag Harbor. Yeah. Nope. I'm talking about the owls. That was like, oh, it was yeah. owls. Oh, you mean on the fence, and the green stuff on the fence. Yeah, the green stuff on the, the fence. Stuff. But mostly the owls is what I was getting to. Yeah, because they like, always say owls for Mothman, yeah. for these aliens now. Right. Right. But that's and a then, skeptic. Yeah. Uh, weather balloons for UFOs. Right. Swamp gas. All these kind of things. They've got the standard go-tos that they use, which is a lot of what the other side of things, like they accuse uh, people filling in gaps with the paranormal. Correct, yeah. But then the scientists fill in gaps with buzzwords, scientific buzzwords too, so I think both sides are a little bit guilty of it. And Now, I'm more on the scientific side, so, but I try to keep an open mind about it. Oh, for sure. That's a thing. Like, I'm sure a lot of people probably watch this stuff and they go, Bert is a believer. He believes everything. The reality <laughs> is most of the time I try to keep an open mind on everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because, you're just presenting this. Correct. Like the interesting dynamic between Nick and I is though mm-hmm. we both enjoy these kind of stories. Nick Absolutely. is probably what I would consider an agnostic. Yep. You got I me. am a man of belief from a religious standpoint so it makes for very dynamic conversations when we talk about stuff like this because sometimes nick will say something that i don't think about because my mind is one direction and i go and vice versa 
Yeah, hundred percent. It's it's. I had a great conversation with a guy the other day. We was forget how this conversation came up, but he said, "Oh, I remember." We was talking about one of the previous podcasts, right? And uh, I was bringing up all these facts, and he goes, "Well, wait a second. You're a religious guy. Why would you even fathom that concept?" And I said, "Well, goodness, like I don't know all the answers, right? Like the information I have is very limited, so." To, to to say whatever the reason was, was because of X, Y, and Z, and I can't look at it because I have to look in this box. That's no way right. to live. That's no yeah, way to live. Yeah, absolutely not. Like, every person you ever meet can give you information you oh, don't possess. Absolutely. And, and agnostics and even atheists, I'm agnostic, of course, but even atheists and people who are religious can get along just fine thousand percent like we all have information the other doesn't have absolutely because regardless at the end of the day it takes faith no matter what you believe right if you're Mm. an atheist and you you think you know x y and z happen you have to have faith in that because there's no proof yeah if you're i mean you can only go so far correct yeah you can there's no way to definitively go to the point and go this is proof even science alone we're changing our perspectives on what science is almost mm. on a daily. Why? Because they oh, don't yeah. have all the answers. They don't know what's going on 100%. You want to so, know a good example of this? Yes, absolutely. Think, think about the time frame that you've been alive. Mm-hmm. How many times have eggs been good for us and eggs been bad for us back and forth? Oh, yeah. That time? <laughs> that's a big one. You know, and that's the funny right. thing because, and, uh, for those of you that don't know, I, I know I'm looking very slim right now. I've lost about 33 pounds. I'm on the keto diet. I found something very interesting because I started researching the concept of keto. Again, going back from a scientific realm, for years and years and years, they always said red meat. Red meat's going to kill you. Red meat mm. builds your cholesterol. You're going to die. There's a science on the other side that goes, no, 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 no. What causes heart attacks is not red meat. It's grains. Right. I, I think a, further back, it's sugars. Yeah, 100%. Does it really? Yeah. 100%. But it's interesting because it's like, who really knows the answer? Who's fibbing? You know, who's the skeptics? Like in a case like this one, like mm-hmm. how much of it is true? How much of it is false? How much of it is embellished? You have to go in with an open mind and go, what's here and what can I see? Like if you and I did a paranormal, I can guarantee you, I'm going to be the one with a flashlight. Right. Looking around and you're going to be the one going in cool as a cucumber. Like, <laughs> well, bird, I don't know about this. Now I'm going to be like, nah, dude, it's a I ghost. I saw it. It's on my own eyes. I, I don't know. I might be that too. I'd definitely bring <laughs> an extra underwear. Oh, but- you best. You <laughs> yeah, best. I can be as skeptic as I want, but I'm practical. I'm packing my bags with extra underwear. That's probably wise. I probably should do the same thing, you know, but I do find it interesting that the skeptics came in and my favorite part of the story, and it's not in the narration Mm -hmm. was these skeptics came in. They're basically like, we're chads. We're the chads of, (laughs) of skepticism. And then they're like, we're going to basically go in and out 30 minutes. We'll tell you what's going on. They go, they, a couple of them left and like, we don't know what that is. (laughs) I'm I'm like, you're a horrible skeptic. Yeah. You can't disprove it. Right. I I respect them for saying I don't know what that is though. Oh, I respect yeah. that. 
But not all of them did that. Only a couple did right, that. Right, right. Yeah. Do you want to get to the nitty and gritty and the good stuff? Oh, I'm, man, I'm here for the good stuff. I'm here for all of it, but I want some good stuff. Give me, give me. We're about to take a huge turn, everybody. All right. Fasten your safety belts. If you have kids, send them to bed. Okay. Yeah. They shouldn't have been listening up to this point. We already warned you about that. Correct. Because they're going to need psychiatric help when this is done. Let's go. Well, it's about that time. I know you're all going to be mad. I'm sorry. Listen, Nick made me do it. I was going to put out a 17-hour podcast, but Nick said, nope, 17 episodes of this bad boy. We just barely covered the surface. <laughs> barely covered it. it. Nick, what do you have to say to yourself? Tell tell them all why. Why are you making them wait? Because I like the suspense and I like <laughs> tormenting people. <laughs> Well, obviously, this one was a long one. Listen, we're almost three hours into this bad boy all the way in. We're not wearing the same fancy clothes. We're actually recording this just to make sure that you understand. You're going to want to tune in next week. The stuff you saw today, and I'm sorry about the cut. I'm sorry. I know I cut it in a juicy spot. I apologize. Listen, I'm not really sorry. I'm lying. That was intentional. It was intentional. I'm sorry. But we want you to come back next week. And if you enjoyed this one, you got to come back because you got to know what happens to Janet. Everyone wants to know what happens. Talk on Janet's being terrorized by the demons. It's wild. You're going to want to know. But definitely come back next week. We'll see you. Bye. Bye.